the book of Jude chapter 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We spoke on these. This is where we pick up new tonight. And on some, talking about this church, have compassion, making a distinction. The King James there says make a difference. But watch this. But others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. That's an Amos terminology right there. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Remember what happened in the Old Testament where the priest's garment was touched by leprosy or something of that nature. They would actually burn that very garment. Let's go, let's stop there, let's stop there. Father, we love you. Thank you for a church that is full of compassion. Compassion will make a di difference, but compassion without wisdom and understanding could be abused, taken advantage of, or not produce the fruit that you desire. But when there is wisdom and leadership and experience and anointing applied with compassion, lives are changed. Speak to us tonight. Let your will be done in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me quickly do two minutes of this. As I spoke to you last time, I reminded you that from the book of Genesis alone, that God is a God of restoration. And the hope that is God restored, the Bible said that he is not willing that any should perish. But what do you do when there's a problem in the church or somebody continues to flow with sin or live in lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God and that they must be dealt with? I gave you three scenarios, if you remember. I told you about the one where there is a conflict between a brother. We go to them in private. We take them to the leadership of the church and then we take them into the whole church. And then if they don't receive you, we let them go until they repent. I told you about the book of Corinthians where there was a man that was involved in sexual immorality of the gross high nature and how he would not change. Paul said, turn that man over. Why? That his soul might be saved. Nobody preaches that anymore because we don't understand scripture. But let him go in the sense that he might feel the, the, the bite of his sin and he want to change. Then I showed you where Paul told Timothy. He said, there are two men that have caused me great pain. He mentions Hymenaeus and Alexander and he talks about the work, how they worked against him. Paul actually said, I have turned these two men over to who? over to Satan for their own destruction. But even in these extreme cases, we still realize that God wants to see every soul saved. I, I know, listen to me, there's a whole movement out there that will say that what I just told you is contrary. They believe that God's already pre-selected every person that will go to heaven. It's already settled, it's already settled. So if God said Neil's going to heaven, but Jessica's going to hell, there's not a thing she can do about it. Hello? I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I believe that's why we witness and we evangelize and we preach and we pray and we pray chains down, walls down and chains off for the glory of God. Amen? With that in mind, that's where Jude picks up now. Jude is so concerned with these apostate preachers and apostate churches that he knew that there would be some that would be pulled away. That there'd be some that were listening to things outside that would be pulled away from the gospel truth. Look around us today. There are people that are leaving the word of God for things that pleases their flesh. 
They once walked in power and prayed and fasted and sought the face of God. I know I was praying today and there was a young lady from youth camp that I remember that she walked in the power of God but went off to college and she claimed that she had a new revelation and she didn't believe she had to live the way that she lived before and now she lives a lifestyle that is contrary to the word of God. Listen to me tonight, saints. I believe that there is still a standard to uphold and I believe that there's a way to walk in and I believe that the truth of God's word will lead us, guide us, convict us, rebuke us and set our feet on a foundation that we might not fall by the wayside or bewitched by foolish false teaching in the last days. But what happens to those that are pulled? I believe it's the job of the church to make a difference, to show compassion on them. How do we do that? Well, first of all, you've got to realize that you're no different than they are. That's right. You've got to realize that your life is a vapor and that you are a weak individual in your own power and upon your own power you will fall on your own intellect. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care who you know in the church of God. I'm telling you Psalms 103 says this, for he knows our frames and God knows that we are nothing but dust. When you realize that you are weak yourself and if it had not been for the grace of God on your life, you wouldn't be standing here tonight, then you will not have a judgmental attitude and declare yourself to be king of North Wahala. But true people who worship God, who I believe are in the presence of God, are those that come out of the presence of God declaring, if it had not been for his grace and mercy, I would have fell by the wayside. But somehow, someway, God threw a lifeline out to me and pulled me out of the fire before it was too late. When churches realize that we are weak individuals and that we need the help of the Holy Ghost, then we can recognize other people that are weak as themselves. God has rebuked me at times because I don't understand drug addiction. I understand alcohol addiction, but I do not understand drug addiction. And there's times I have judged them in my own self. And God's had to rebuke me and say, Neil, that is a device the enemy has for them and pulls them down. You forget when alcohol controls your mind. So do not judge them, but understand their weakness and understand that in their weakness is made strong, not in your intellect, but in my power. You want to see a church full is when we look outside the church walls and we don't condemn them with rocks in our hand, but we realize that they are weak, and but God can help them with truth, then God can turn their life around. Recently, one of my closest friends, his daughter uh, now is pregnant and it's a situation that has perplexed him. I was able to talk to him this week and Jessica and I, we talked about this because at youth camp, I, I felt something at youth camp that has come true. And, and I talked to him this week and I encouraged my pastoral friend, let me tell you something, brother, God still has a plan for her life and her life is not over. And I know you feel like you're all alone right now. You don't know how you can make it, but I know a God that will not leave you and a God that will give you wisdom and a God that will give you grace and God can use that child just like he used a child that David had a long time ago to turn lives around. Listen to me, I don't care how weak they are, God is still strong tonight. Real quickly, secondly, secondly, we've got to show mercy and kindness. Simply put, we can't be mean all the time. That's deep theology. That's Neil 101 verse 3. We don't have to be mean all the time. To be honest with you, I am harsh or harder on church people than I am sinners, especially of those in leadership. 
because there comes a time that we should know better. But for these that were being pulled out of the fire are weaker Christians. And we'll judge the little girl having an abortion, but we will plead the blood over our own child that's having an affair. Come on, let's just go. We will make excuse while they have an affair and condemn that little girl to hell. That's not right. We need to learn how to show mercy. James 2 13 said, for the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown our mercy. We've got to learn to show mercy. And when we show mercy, the Bible teaches us then that God will be merciful to us. Always react in mercy. Third tonight, listen, not only should we show mercy, we should show compassion. Remember what Jew said. Jew said compassion makes a difference. Remember that these people he's talking about were those that have been bewitched and tripped up. You remember the word I used Sunday, trap stick? They, have been, they fell because they were trapped. I guarantee you there's everybody in this house can think of somebody who used to belong to this church, was full of the Holy Ghost, but now they're living in sin. Somebody who is going to another church or, or a false god and believing something foolish because they fell trapped. So what do we do to them? We show compassion to them. We love on them so that the door will remain open so that they might come home before it's too late. Now we can take a higher holy ground and look down upon them and declare, I knew they would fall and I knew they wouldn't make it. I hate that type terminology. My child gets saved and somebody before we leave says, they've been saved 34 times, you know it's not gonna last. You need to come back and repent, brother or sister. It's the truth. We need to show compassion because it still makes the difference or the distinction. These people have been bewitched and unless we show compassion, somebody else out there will show goodness or kindness. I didn't say godliness. And I know that there are people that are belonging to gangs, belonging to false gods, belonging to other religions that are false. Why? Not because of the theology, but because somebody smiled at them and showed them their type of love and they want to belong to somebody so bad that they will believe anything to be accepted. But the sad part of this is that they are accepted here but not accepted there when we have the truth. But so many times we've locked the church doors to people who do not look like us and we allow them to be bewitched and now they don't know the truth and their lives are in chaos while you and I, we have the goods, we have the, the word of God and the truth. But if we lock it up only to us, then we have made a mockery of the cross of Jesus Christ. And you claim to have the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost was Judea, Jamaria, uh, Samaria, excuse me, to the othermost parts of the earth. We are part of the last day outpouring. They say by 2030, every country in the world would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are in a 12 year window where the gospel mandate shall be fulfilled. We can't pick and select and choose who we show compassion on. If they fell by the wayside, I know they frustrate you. They frustrate me at times. There's some people I don't understand why they cannot get on a solid foundation. But I know this, if we shut the door of compassion to them, how will they know Jesus Christ? Once we show compassion, then we also gotta show patience. There are some people I believe now get ready because I'm going to say something that's going to make somebody mad. I'm going to quote somebody else where you'll get mad at them. Are you ready? I will never forget the person that I prayed for who said, 
Pastor, I want you to pray God will save them, but once he saves them, I want God to kill them so they'll go to heaven. I said, I can't pray that way. Now they said, Pastor, I'm being serious. I said, no, I'm not praying that way. But what I didn't realize in my youth, they weren't being in a literal sense. What they were saying was, we have suffered long for this. We have prayed years upon years. I know one pastor that prayed for his child and ate one meal a day for 12 and a half years. That's how long he ate one meal a day and fasted the other two for his lost child. Listen to me, don't you give up on your children. There's a world that's preaching false God and false sex and false goodness and false sin and false pride and all these things that are causing our young people to stumble. But if we are the house of God, if we are the very elect, do not have enough patience to say, you may run, but you will not outrun my prayers. You will not outrun my fasting. I will pray for you to your last breath. Why? Because I know the God that I know will save you even in the last hour or last breath of your life. If we do these things, then here comes the most important. This is where I want to teach for the last 24 minutes. Here's what he says. Jews says, if this happens, the key to this, though, is that once we show these things or practice these things, and Tommy, we cannot back up, back up from the main thing. Yes, compassion. Yes, patience. Yes, mercy. Yes, kindness. But once we have shown that, we cannot change the truth. And that's where we're having the hard time in 2018. We have churches that are nothing but, but kindness, but no truth. And then we have churches over here that know the truth, but they have a mean spirit. You know what I'm saying? They forget how it was to be lost. And so their witnessing techniques are foolish. You can't slap somebody with the Bible. You can put the Bible on their head and pray for them, but it doesn't mean they're gonna be saved. Only God can touch that person in the heart. And so what we've gotta do, once we've done these things, then we gotta have the fact that John 8, 32 says, the truth shall still make a person free. I believe there needs to be a defender of the truth of God's word like never before. Quit protecting the sacred cows of the church. Quit trying to tell us that we've never done it this way before. We have protected the wrong things of the church. We have set ourselves up like other religions. We have our idols, we have our gold, we have our crystals, we have our saints, we have our certain preachers, our certain singers, our certain teachers, and our certain styles. And what we've done, we've let the enemy rake the truth, steal the truth, take the truth from the house of God. And while we're so soon to defend a person we've let the word of God mistake us are you listening tonight and I don't care how much compassion you show if at the end of that compassion you do not give them the truth then you have failed God and you have failed them I'll prove it to you Paul told Timothy this I urge you to in the presence of God I told our ministers the other week he called God down from heaven who will someday judge the living and the dead when he sets up his kingdom preach the word of God. I don't like preaching. 
Well, you've got to take that up with God. It is the method that he has chose. I didn't say it's got to be my style. Mike and I, we preach the same word, a little different style. Sometimes he's a little loud, but most of the time he's a teacher and he's, he's effective. Denise is a teacher. There's others in here that are great. Everybody's style's different. The style is not what we're after. The style everybody has one so we can reach more people at this church. But the word itself must be preached. I think, I think we talk about, I had somebody say this to me. Well, we, my, my, my family doesn't want to come because y'all talk about Jesus too much. Are you kidding me? And I like to tell you I'm playing, but I'm not playing. It's like going to a football game and taking the football out of the stadium and saying, listen, nobody can talk about football. Are you kidding me? What, are we there to watch Dabo go up and down the sidelines? No, we want to see a football game. That's what's happening. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared no matter what time it is. And then he says this, patiently, that word patiently, it's what Paul told Timothy, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Correct, rebuke, exhort, or encourage. The word correct right here, or convince, is a word to address to the mind. It means to argue, set it forth in a systematic way by answering the questions and removing the obstacles that is in somebody's way. My job as a preacher is to pull the cobwebs down, unlock the doors that stand in the way of your children being saved. Preaching should not be based on how pretty it was or what tone or how you liked it or if he made you laugh or he recognized you. The proper preaching that'll pull, pull your kids out of the fire, your grandkids, is when we convince by correction, by removing the obstacles that stand in their way. Nicodemus, I know you are a good man. Modern day preacher says, leave him alone. He tithes well, he gives good. Don't get in his business. If you say any more, Nicodemus will leave. Nicodemus, I know you are a good man. You observe the law. You are perfect in any way. But Nicodemus, you must be born again. Hello? Nicodemus, I know, I know, I know all this, but you must be born again. Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care who your daddy is. I'm going to your house. You are a liar, you are a cheat, and I've got to talk to you. Now, I'm not telling you to call him a liar and a cheat up front, that was Jesus. But sooner or later, if the gospel is preached right, there are some people that will come here and they will love my preaching. They, it would change their life. There are others that are gonna come, they're not gonna like it. It's already happened. They're gonna say, it gets in my business too much. But you hear me, if the word of God is applied rightly, divided rightly, sooner or later, it's gonna get in your business. I'm a, here's my lifestyle, that belongs to me. Here's my Friday night, that belongs to me. Here's my Saturday night, that belongs to me, Joy. And over here, here's my church. So I'ma add it on to my life and I'm gonna make it a part of one of many things. No, sir. See, this is God, and everything else stands on it. 
What we're trying to do is have Jesus get in the back of the car and ride with us while we're already on our journey. You understand? He's just one of the facets of our life. No, my friend, he is the rock of your life. He is the foundation. He is the centric or center of your life or he is not at all. The word convinced, secular rebuke. This is where when a person has fallen in the sin, someone needs a word that would appeal to their conscience because of their sin. And by doing this, we let them know, and I love this about witnessing, we have to get them to recognize that they do not belong to an island themselves, but by a righteous, holy, compassionate rebuke in love, we show them the air of their way and the others that suffer around them. One of the best ways to appeal to a mother is after you preach truth, you remind them of the babies and the eyes that are looking up to them. Hello? If that doesn't grab a hold of their attention, you've got to go back to a prayer closet. Hello? I've known young people to live like the devil, get pregnant, and the next thing you know, they'll come into the office and say, Pastor, I was wrong. I was selfish, but now I have a life. Can you tell me about Jesus Christ? When they begin to see the air of their way and how it affects others, something about that changes. But when it's not preached that way, and it's not made aware of that way, and when fathers are not held to a godly standard or accountability, what did the word of God say? Where are the fathers? Where are the godly fathers? Where are the mothers that will pray the fire down? When that is not done with a righteous rebuke, the house of God is empty, the community is ravaged because we have convinced them that their sin has no consequence. And that's the modern day preaching. You already been forgiven, it doesn't matter. Go ahead, do what you want to. I'll see you in heaven on the other side. You go do your thing, I go do mine, and when we get up there, we'll talk about the grace of God. My friend, I've got a problem with that theology. I want you to look at the wake behind you and see the destruction that you are causing and the false pretense that you're preaching and you're not calling people to a higher standard. I don't want my children to do the nasty things that I've done. I want them to see a better way, a new living way, and how can they see it if it's not lived out in front of them? Thirdly, you've got to exhort. Exhortation is what Paul tells Timothy. By exhorting the word of God properly, you encourage their will to change. For them to try something new, to believe something that, that maybe that they did not know of, but by your preaching, you encourage them to step out and set aside their wants and their desires and stand on a solid foundation. Brother Nolan, it's so hard to tell somebody about Jesus. No, sometimes we get so busy, we don't have time to tell people about Jesus. And sometimes we'd rather talk about things other than Jesus. But the buddies that you're going to the game with on Saturday, if Jesus comes at 1.30 in the middle of the game, how many of them are going with you? Come on now. I've got family members that are lost. When's the last time I had a conversation about them? Her brother Nola, I don't want to run them away. I don't either. No, you, no, I'm not asking you to embarrass them. I'm not asking you to get them in front of a crowd and talk about how ungodly they are. 
See, that's what we do. We witness, we'll wait, we won't say nothing to them, we'll pray for them, and then we'll go to Thanksgiving dinner, and while we're eating turkey, we'll look down there and <laughs> say, Brother Hancocks, Uncle Hancocks, I just gotta ask you something. What, son, why do you live like the devil all the time? That's not witnessing, folks. You got them in front of a crowd, not to show them Christ, but to promote your own pompous righteousness. You are trying to show them how holy you are and how holy they're not and try to get grandma on your side. But the problem is most of our grandmas see right through that nonsense. You can't quote the same scripture 34 years. Sooner or later, you gotta change it up, brother. You've been saying Jesus well for 34 years now. Sooner or later, you might wanna find a new scripture. They might call your hand on that, right? And see, that's not witnessing. Witnessing is not embarrassing. Witnessing is that every day they know your life and see your life and you encourage them to follow your life and try a new way and step out of their comfort zone and leave their addictions and leave their past and leave their substance. Why? Because you know that there's false doctrine out there. You know that there's devils trying to drown them and you don't want them to go to hell. So you want to pull them out of the fire before it's too late. I know they've been tainted by this world, but if they've got a breath in their body, then you can pull them out of the fire in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Patiently at doing this. Oh, Brother Nolan, you told us a while ago that God wants to redeem them, but what happens if I've done this 84 times? Matthew 18 said 70 times seven. Then he gave a parable that said it this way. There was a man who came who owed a lump sum of money and he made a decree to that one that he owed and the one said to him, don't worry about that. It's a large sum, but I'll work with you. That same man went out the door, Jesus said, and went to a man that owed him very small and that man, he was mean to him and hard to him and demanded that man pay him right then. But when the king heard what that wicked man did, he told him and said, I showed you compassion passion, I showed you mercy, and yet you turn right out and you've done the opposite of somebody else. He called the torturers, the Bible said, to come take that man and show him punishment. You have been shown mercy and grace. I have been shown mercy and grace. The grace of God has been poured out of us. We've got to have a mindset that as long as we're here in this community, we will still be a lighthouse for all who are hurting and all who are broken that we might pull them out of the fire before it's too late. 70 times seven, 70 times seven. Can somebody say amen? amen? Nine minutes, let's move on. Once we have preached these things, I'm believing that God's gonna open the door to their heart and we can restore them. How do we go about restoration then? I like what Amos says, Amos 4 and 11. I destroyed some of your cities as I did Sodom and Gomorrah. Those of you who survive are like Charles Sticks, charred sticks pulled from a fire. I believe Galatians 6 and 1 is in order. Ye that are spiritual, restore them which have fallen. Amen? Amen. This connotation lets us know that there's some that we're going to pull from the very fire charred by this world and this life. We struggle in the modern church, and I'll be honest, I have at times as well. How do I remain a godly standard and yet still pull people? As you used to say, how do we hate the sin and love the sinner? The difference is we maintain a righteous walk. We are not willing 
to let go of the truth so the pastor can get a raise. We are not going to budge at North Wahala preaching the truth in Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Tommy, there might be a few people that come, they get saved or God deals with them and they go down to a local church and they catch fire there, so be it. But we are unwilling to change what this church has been built on for 104 years, which is the word of God. That truth is a non-negotiable thing that we will not even talk about. The day that the deacons, they would not. We've got godly men. But the day that the pastor or the deacons or the leadership is doing what a lot of other churches are doing. Brother Nolan, I don't believe that. I don't believe their churches. Then you don't believe the word of God then. The whole book of Jude is to keep us from that. Not just Jude, I could quote many other scriptures, but to keep us from that. But the day that we leave this, we have nothing. Nothing but a cheap form of religion that has no power, no value, and no effect. No wonder kids go to churches all over and they sleep through 18 years of ministry. Come on, somebody. We must stand and preach the truth and pull them out of the fire. Hating the very thing, and I close with this. Once we pull them out of the fire, we will see them as they are. When you see a life as I did in Camden with a young lady who came to us who had AIDS in her body. She gave her life to the Lord, Rusty, and God saved her. I buried her less than seven months later. She worshiped while she was there. She was a part of us and we were never shamed. We pulled her out of the fire. Today I'm convinced she's in heaven. She's not the only one, but I'll tell you this, what I could not tolerate. Even though we pulled her out of the fire through the word of God, once you see what sin does, then you will hate the very essence of sin. Here's what I close with. From Pastor Nolan on down, Jude is reminding us to love this sinner. Now I know if I was preaching to other churches, they would say that these people are still saved. I'm not arguing any of that. That's not the thesis of my statement. I could tell you what the word says. But what we've got to do is still love them and pull them out of the fire. And once we do that, we need to see what sin has done to their life. And then we need to be a church once again that hates sin once again. Nobody's saying amen there. Brother, don't you preach a perfection. No, I'm not. There's nobody in here perfect. Nobody in the Bible perfect. Not Adam, not Noah, not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all the way down, Simon, Peter, all the way down. Nobody's perfect. But I know this. The priests of the Old Testament, if their garment was touched by sin, they destroyed that garment and started again. We have got to be a church once again that hates what sin does to the, the blessed creation that God made, which is his greatest creation, which is humanity. You keep preaching your weak gospel. Then you ride down with me to the hospital as we watch babies that are born struck out on drugs. Go ahead, preach your weak gospel. 
for your four audience members who tell you how good you are, who tell you the best preacher because you make them feel good. And I say you go with me to Columbia and places like where Ashley Williams are and all across our churches, go with me to Atlanta. Go with me right now to Oconee County. So the gas station this week where a young lady is strung out sitting there and my child's asking me, Daddy, what's wrong with her? Daddy, is that lady crazy? You know, she was just having a, a, an action to a drug a overdose and she's right there in our streets here in Oconee. But we want cute church, non-offended, cute, polished church. And Jude said before the Lord comes, there's gonna be this move to take us away where the churches have no power. They're clouds without water, twice dead, plucked up at the roots. He gave us scenario after scenario in this series and I close this series with this. We've gotta reach out and pull them out with compassion. That's why we go in hurricanes. That's why we feed football teams. You said, Brother Nolan, is it worth it? It took one year of hard, hard digging. But the last three weeks, you asked people, have I preached to them? I told them last Friday that Paul told Timothy, let your speech and your conduct be without such reproach. And I told them when Jesus is in your life that you will have a speech that people can recognize and a conduct that will not tear down your dreams. We're preaching Jesus. Why? Because we love them with compassion, we show mercy and with kindness, but at the end of the day, we absolutely despise what sin can do to a life. I know it's not popular preaching, but it's your children. We've got to church. I'm not saying embarrass people. I'm not saying be judgmental. Well, Brother Nolan, what happens when there are issues that we're just divided on? That's easy. Romans 14. Romans 14 says for the strong Christians and the weak Christians, some are saying you had to worship on this day. Some say I could drink this. Some say I couldn't drink that. What does he say? Leave it alone. They will stand before God. You do it your way. Let them do it theirs. If you agree on the essential things and let it play out, you will see in the end who was right. But don't let it divide the church. Don't get caught up. Right? What, what, what happens if they come to church and they don't look like us? It's okay. Sometimes we've hated their, I'm gonna say this, because you can handle it, because this is the Wednesday night crowd. We've looked at them and we've hated what sin has done to them, so we judge them. Instead of hating sin for what it did to them. We hated how they look now. Whew. I was talking to another pastor this week whose daughter has been ravished by sin. We can't hate her. No, no, we can't. We've got to hate the sin that has destroyed her life and still believe in the end. Nothing can change her but the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Lola, what happens when the people who've done you wrong, I thought about that lately. We've all got one or two people that have stabbed us and done us wrong and I've thought about that. I think God is preparing me for something. What do we do to those people? We come off our high towers. 
I feel the same way, Joel. We come off our high towers and we grab them by the hand and we tell them, I've been there too. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Come home, sons and daughters. Come home. Come home, grandchildren of the church. Come home. We will hate your sin, but we will madly, absolutely love you unquestionably. There's some shame. People connected our church, and we've got we to remove it. It's time, amen? Stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A few other things I wanted to touch on tonight, but it's eight o'clock. If I do one more lesson on this, it will be on how to hate sin. And that would probably be our closing lesson, the book of Jude. Brother Nolan, have you sinned just like you have? I'm not preaching perfection. But when your private sin starts becoming easy, you got trouble in your life. I've been there. When you don't feel the conviction, we'll pick up there next time. Let's love people. Some have compassion. Therefore, they make a difference. Let me tell you, I really believe, closing here, things that happened before I got here at this church, the 104 years, have handed me a baton where we don't change who we are, but we just ratchet it up just a little bit. Right now, there's a group of people making a media room across, this, across the road. So we can do things like interviews, services. We can talk about topics and then put it out on social media. What does it mean to walk in holiness? What does it mean to have a godly marriage? Just take what we have and ratchet it up. And so we can take the message out further. And when hurricanes come, or calls we get every day during the week, every single day, the last month, we bought tires for single, for widows and single mothers, and they come to our church. We feed people constantly. There are funerals that we have no more churches. Churches don't do a lot of pastoral care on some levels anymore. So we send pastors, retired ministers, we send food, all for a chance to do what? To show them compassion. That's all we want to do, show them compassion. Father, I've taught your word tonight. These are the best people. And I know, God, they've received the word tonight. We have compassion. Therefore, we make a distinction. It separates us. I hear people all the time, what's different about your God? What's different about your church? What's different about this? That love and compassion that is wrapped in truth, protected by truth, will change lives. We don't have to water it down. We just have to preach it in love. Take it out now. Set everyone on fire. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for praying. I swapped it to the front of the